When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Episode 164 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Cloud Accounting Software FreshBooks with a free 30-day unrestricted trial for you. Find out more at freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. always this comparison game. Let's say if your goal is to make six figures and you suddenly make six figures, you're not going to feel happy because now you're going to compare yourself to somebody who is making millions of dollars. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable features back from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now here's Jeff. Hi there. Welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. We talk about leadership each and every week and also how topics like personal growth, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship all play in to the topic of leadership. In just a few minutes, uh, you and I get to sit down with Paul Sohn. He's the author of a book called, wait for it, Quarter Life Calling, pursuing your God-given purpose in your 20s. Now, I encourage you not to check out if you're not in that quarter-life period of your life or if you're not a person of faith, because that would be a mistake. For example, I can assure you I'm not in my 20s, but still found plenty in the book relevant to me. And either way, I encourage you to join our conversation with maybe thoughts about someone in your life who is in their 20s. If not you, maybe like me, that's a niece or a nephew or a son or daughter. In short, I assure you there is going to be a lot to be learned in today's conversation with Paul Sohn. For example, I plan to ask Paul about his thoughts on why we need to rethink how we measure success, why he calls the American dream a dangerous myth, the difference between a calling, job, and career, and much, much more. And in my view, one of the first steps in moving from a job to a career and from a career to a calling is divesting yourself of those things that anybody could do, particularly if they're things that you don't do very well. And for me, that's the accounting in my business. I love delegating that to cloud accounting software, fresh books each and every day. Now, to be fair, are there still things that I need to do? Well, sure. I might create an invoice every now and again, which thanks to FreshBooks only takes me a few seconds. But apart from that and clicking send, FreshBooks pretty much takes care of everything else. It makes it easy for my clients to pay me. In fact, they can pay me online, which often means I get paid several days faster than I used to. I can check in and see whether or not a client has viewed an invoice. Late payment reminders are sent out automatically. I can even set up a recurring invoice for a client and FreshBooks takes care of notifying them 
automatically. It's almost like having a staff of people to handle these things for just a few bucks a month. I cannot recommend FreshBooks highly enough. I've been using it in my business since late 2009, and I recommend you consider it as well, especially right now in that there's that free 30-day unrestricted trial that FreshBooks is offering. You get access to all their features absolutely free for an entire month just by going to freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Be sure to enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section so FreshBooks knows where you came from and that helps the read to lead podcast. Again, one more time, that address is freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Paul Sohn is a leadership coach, best-selling author, and speaker, formerly employed by both a Fortune 50 company and a Top 100 Great Place to Work company. Paul is the founder of Cara, Q-A-R-A, at Cara.org. Paul was named one of the top 33 under 33 Christian millennials to follow by Christianity Today. And he is, as I said, a best-selling author. And that book is called Quarter Life Calling, Pursuing Your God-Given Purpose in your 20s. Paul, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Appreciate it. Well, Paul and I are connected on social media, uh, Facebook, uh, among other places, and I I couldn't help but notice a special post Paul uh, put up yesterday uh, officially becoming a U.S. citizen. And Paul, I just wanted to say here on the show, a hearty congratulations to you. (laughs) Thanks so much. Yes, it feels uh, pretty amazing. To, to be officially American. Uh, and I wanted to point out, too, that I was officially the 700th person to like your status update. <laughs> <laughs> I was been overwhelmed by all the support. So it's, it's been uh, pretty awesome to, to hear all these people congratulate me. Well, I want to dive into a, a bit about the, the book's journey first. Uh, share, if you would, Paul, what has happened since you first published this book till, till now and, and this, this new release. So about a year ago, I self-published my book, Quarter Life Calling, same title, different subtitle, but I self-published it. I did a whole uh, book launch team and um, got hundreds of people to support it. Once I launched the book, I got an email from a literary agent based in New York. And this email, she says, "Uh, Paul, I stumbled on your book on Amazon. I read your book and it changed my life. Hmm. And I wanted to reach out to you because... I'm a Christian millennial, exactly the target audience, and I feel like your book has the potential to be like the purpose-driven life for millennials. Mm. And as soon as I got that email, honestly, I thought it was a joke. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was someone from, you know, Guatemala wanting my money, you know? (laughs) But she, she called me, and that's when we set up a lunch together. She flew down to L.A., and that's when it really dawned on me that this, this is real. And um, she had a proposal already and submitted that to the top Christian publishers. And um, since then, seven of the top uh, publishers reached out saying they want to work with me. And I was able to go with one of the publishers and I signed a contract with them. And now the book's getting republished in an updated edition. So I've made some major edits, added about 7,000 more words Mm. and uh, more activities and tools. And the book's coming out uh, on April 4th. 
Well, and unless you be be frightened away by by some of the things that that Paul said, even if you you don't consider your, yourself a, a person of faith, uh, let's say, I think there's a lot here for you just the same. And I'm and I'm Paul. I'm quarter life times two or, or thereabouts. And and despite the fact that I'm well beyond my my quarter life calling, uh, there was plenty in this book uh, for me as well. Uh, and as I read the book, Paul, it was obvious to me that that for a long time you you've placed a high priority on surrounding yourself as a very young man with mentors. How did that first begin to manifest itself in your life? It started when I um, was in college. That I was part of a mentorship program in my business school, and I had a very interesting connection with one of my mentors. I looked up to him. Um, he was probably about seven to eight years older than me, but he was exactly the person that I aspired to be. Mm. And he would take time out of his busy life to mentor me, not only in the field of career, but also in my personal relationships. And just being able to be that sounding board for me on the various struggles and the frustrations that I was going through. And I noticed that uh, because he was a little bit ahead of, of me in, in the game of life that he uh, had a very wise understanding of how to think about life after college, mm. thinking about all these things that I would, uh, I would go into without much thought. And that, that really helped me understand the importance of mentorship. And I've always been looking for people who had not only the competency, but also the character somebody who's willing to not only encourage me, but also challenge me at the same time. Since then, I've had kind of my own personal board of directors, if you will, Mm. who I've always leaned into when it came to various concerns and and issues that come up with with my life. I'd be curious to know what some of those uh, board of directors had to say about a pretty big decision you made at one point. Paul did something that I think just about everybody has thought about doing at one time or another. He quit a great cushy job. We mentioned that that Fortune 50 position earlier. It seems, Paul, pretty much everybody around you, for the most part, maybe some some of these board members thought differently, but it seems like just about everybody around you thought you were nuts. And I'm curious to know, especially what your parents thought about that decision. (laughs) It's funny you ask that question because I can feel the tension already (laughs) uh, thinking about that uh, experience because, Mm. like you said, many of my friends, many of my close people around me said, you know, Paul, don't do that. Like that's considered a corporate suicide. Mm. And as someone who was working at a Fortune 500 company at a very cushy job, um, I didn't have a job lined up. And for me to just to quit, um, it was a, a very difficult process. And it took uh, four years for me to really do that. Mm. You know, it wasn't a kind of out of a whim. I'm like, oh, I'm so, I just hate this job. I just, I'm just going to quit. Uh, it took four years. And initially, when I shared that with my parents, they thought, I mean, as any parent would be like, they were very worried about me. <laughs> and they're like, Paul, you know, what? They asked, started asking me all these hard questions like, what's your plan? How are you going to make money? How are you going to survive? What, what's, what's, what's in your mind? What are you thinking? And um, I had ongoing conversations like that. Many of them, high tension, intense conversations um, with my mom and dad for about six months. Mm. One of the things that I think helped me is first and foremost, I I was very grateful that, you know, my parents 
they they listened. Um, they didn't just say what they wanted and not listen to me. But also, we did this thing where we spent about a month not just talking, but really praying about it. Mm. And as a person of faith, we prayed about it, and we came back and regrouped re- re- and had a conversation about it. And that's when there was a lot more agreement in terms of the decision that I was making. They eventually supported me because uh, a lot more interesting opportunities came in my way. And it was pretty clear that there was a sign and a a new journey that was unraveling uh, before me. Hmm. Well, many uh, 20-somethings, Paul says, uh, measure their success against how fast or, or how high they're able to climb the career ladder. This was certainly the case uh, for my generation, uh, and, and I think continue to be in my personal career for, for a couple of decades anyway. Why, why do you believe we need to, to rethink that, Paul? Well, I think we need to really rethink that because there is a sense of futility, a sense of meaninglessness and emptiness that runs through success as we see it that way. It, it's, a, it's always about having more. It's it's not about being satisfied with where you are, but it's always this comparison game. Because let's say if your goal is to make um, six figures, I mean, you suddenly make six figures, you're not going to feel happy because now you're going to compare yourself to somebody who is now making millions of dollars, mm. uh, millions of assets, and you're always chasing after this win. You're not never going to be able to feel like you're good enough you're rich enough, you're smart, you're not smart, smart enough. Mm. So um, I think it's kind of like a, this drug almost. It's, it's an addiction to performance, addiction to, to get more and more and more, but uh, it really never ends. Mm. Is this similar to what you mean, Paul, when you say that the American dream is a dangerous myth? Yes, I, I really believe that because American dream, if you really think about it, is encapsulated in this idea that if you work hard enough, right, if you are just passionate enough and you, you can just become anything you want to be, that's really uh, interesting because a couple, couple of days ago, I became a U.S. citizen, right? And in, during the ceremony, there, there was a message that was delivered from various people who were presenting. And they were saying, welcome uh, as a new a U.S. citizen and this is like a new chapter for you. You know, this is a land of opportunity. If you just put your heart and mind into that, you can become anything you want to be. And I think it really embeds into the cultural fabric of our society. And what I would just say to that is, I believe that that's a myth because I don't think you can become anything you want to be, but you can be a lot more of who you already are. Mm. And becoming the best version that you were created to be, that you were intended to be, is far more fulfilling than try to compare yourself and be like the next Bill Gates or try to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. If you're a, a millennial like me, you know, we're always thinking about how can we be part of this interesting movement and creating a startup and it's this comparison game that plagues us. We hear the word uh, stewardship oftentimes uh, kicked around in conversations about our planet or maybe about uh, having to do with finances, that sort of thing. Paul, contrast, if you would, the word success with your thoughts on stewardship. It's, it's really encapsulated in the idea that 
you know, through whom much is given, much is required or much is expected. And I really believe that when we think about stewardship, it's about maximizing what you've been given. Everyone is designed differently. Everyone has a set of talents, gifts, passions, even our personality. It's so different. And being able to understand how do I unleash and harness what I've been given to become the best version that I was created to be is, I think, very, very important. So part of the idea of stewardship is not just taking care of things, but it's also creating. For instance, um, think about like a park ranger, right? Park ranger's job is not just only to protect uh, what's out there, but it's also part of creating something. It's part of uh, using your gifts and your passions and being able to make something out of nothing. And I believe that's a huge part of stewardship versus success, which is relative. Uh, The world's definition of success today might look very different um, 100 years from now. Today, we live in a society where it's all about the image. It's all about what you have. Um, But stewardship is not only just about what you have, but also it's about who you are as a person. Mm, very, very well said. There's a chapter where Paul talks about some some signs that he's identified that uh, suggest that we're in the middle of a quarter life uh, crisis, or in, in my case, a quarter life times two. Um, I, I loved your your idea, Paul, of a stop doing list. Can you talk a little bit about that? I love this because it really comes from Peter Drucker. He calls it the plan abandonment. But <laughs> essentially, the idea is in a world where there's overwhelming choices, so many different options. Everyone's talking about what's your to-do list? What do you need to do to be able to do that? And we're honestly deluged by so much stuff to do that we end up not doing anything well. We're just spread too thin. Hmm. And as a result of that, we're not being effective and we're not living into our calling. So part of the idea of stop doing list is identifying what am I doing currently that is, that I need to unplug myself. What are the things that's distracting me from living out my calling? And you need to be able to somehow identify that on a piece of paper visual, visually, and you might be able to delegate some of that or just stop it altogether. But you never can really step into your calling if you're trying to do you know, so many different things. It's too distracting. Um, I, I thought as you were talking too something that that, that might have been beneficial for me to ask uh, at, at the very beginning of this conversation, but I'll but I'll ask it now. And and that's uh, these three words that we we hear often get confused for one another. I think, and I'd love for you to speak to the differences between these three words. And I'm thinking about calling, job, and career. Dan Miller over the years has helped give me some clarity uh, as far as the differences mm-hmm. uh, between those go. Uh, how do you define each of those three? Yeah, that's a great question. So how I see it simply is, you know, a job is people who have a job mindset, right? A job mentality. Many of them think of job as simply they're working for the weekend. They're <laughs> they're using a job. It's a means to an end. People are always thinking about vacations and it's just this work itself is a drudgery. Uh, it's a constant rat race. Uh, they're in this daily grind. Um, now, People who are thinking about a career, those are people who actually get satisfaction 
and fulfillment, not from the job itself, but from the promotions or the pay raises, mm. the, the advances, the advancements that come from a job. And many of them tend to be uh, very much driven type A people who likes to climb the corporate ladder, if you will. And they, they gain a lot of satisfaction to that. But those who have a calling mindset, they understand that calling is a response, literally a response to a summons. And they understand that calling precedes and outlives a job. Mm. So for people who have a calling, they understand that you know somebody who has a job may retire from a job, but somebody who has a calling, they understand that you never retire of a calling. So a good way to think about it is calling is what you bring to the job. It's this mindset, this 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 attitude that you bring to this idea of a job that this is not just a work for my own self or simply to uh, make ends meet, but there's a bigger transcendent purpose behind why I do what I do, which is actually to serve people, which is to actually make an impact to society. Despite how mundane or how boring work might sound like, it has an impact and you actually can make an impact to that. Hmm. Would you say, Paul, that you believe that uh, each of us has or most of us have multiple callings? I, I truly believe that. I mean, most people think of calling as, as it's a it's a singular, but mm. it's a plural mm. idea that uh, there is a primary calling and there's a secondary calling. And the idea of a primary calling is is this: that before you're called to do, you're called to be. As 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 a person of faith, I understand that literally, I am called by a caller with a capital C, a creator, the author of life, who created me for a purpose. And I can't understand what my calling is unless I understand who my caller is. I need to understand who created me in the first place. And it's that relationship that you have with God that gives you a sense of purpose and meaning into everything that you do. So that really is more of a universal calling. But the secondary calling, which is more unique to who you are and how you were created. This is going to be very different for different people, whether you are called to um, raise up leaders or where you're called to raise up children or you're called to change the political sector. It could be various parts of it, but that's when you're using your giftings, your, your passions, your personality, your life experiences, all of that, intersecting together to have an impact. So I think it's very important to be able to identify that calling is just not simply a job. It's not simply a career. It's actually a multiple things. Well, Paul, what would you say to someone who's maybe struggling uh, to discern uh, their calling or, or find their sweet spot? Are there some pitfalls that we, that we need to watch out for in regard to calling? Yes, I believe a lot of people have different, I would say, um, ideas of what calling is. I think it's very important to understand that there is this, what I would call a spiritual versus sacred divide, Mm -hmm. right? And many people, when they think about calling, it's as if, you know, those who come from a Christian background, they hear the word calling and that's like, wow, I have to be a missionary or I have to be a pastor. <laughs> mm. uh, I have to leave everything I have and I have to go to somewhere in Africa and, and devote my entire life. Mm. 
And hmm. they say that as if that type of a calling is superior to a calling of somebody who's an accountant or somebody who's you know, eight, spending eight hours a day behind the desk filling spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they feel like, wow, like that is inferior to who, who you are. But what I believe is that calling is all equal. Uh, there is no spiritual calling. There's no, no uh, secular calling. That every calling, uh, there's dignity in there and mm-hmm. that you're able to actually make a huge difference. One person that I can think of who kind of struggled with this is William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was a political activist in Great Britain, and he was pretty much the guy who led the, um, the movement to abolish slavery in Great Britain. Mm. He spent his entire legacy and his career introducing bills to fight for that. And the reason why I say his story is because when he was in his early 20s, he became a Christian. And he, he, he said to himself, I can't do this anymore. I can't be uh, a politician and carry out God's will at the same time. I'm going to just completely jump ship. I'm going to be a, a pastor or a minister, and I'm going to spend my entire life doing that. And he had this encounter with John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace. And he was a mentor of William Wilberforce and said to him, William, you actually have a calling in this political uh, arena, and you're able to do God's work and have an impact. Um, and that calling is as, as rich and as uh, powerful than for you to go and do, be a minister. Mm-hmm. So that paradigm shift allowed William Wilberforce to continue to spend his entire life and energy for this cause. And because of his legacy, we have Abraham Lincoln, who was inspired by William Wilberforce's work, and that's why he, he did what he did, and Martin Luther King Jr. as well. Mm. So it's amazing what, what you could think of when you're really uh, obeying your calling. Yeah, the impact that you can have for, for decades to come, absolutely. Well, uh, Paul mm-hmm. calls the uh, last section of the book simply, Why Work? So, so Paul, my question for you is, well, what's the answer then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, if you think about it, 60 to 70% of our waking hours, we're working. But I've noticed as I've been talking to a lot of different people, when I say, hey, do you like your work? Most of them say, I don't. <laughs> I found very few people who are like, yeah, I love my work. And uh, just I can't wake up every day to go to work. And it's just my favorite thing. Well, the truth is 88% of people are disengaged at work. Mm. That's a study from Gallup organization. And I believe that work is not a necessary evil, but in fact, it is a gift. It it is a mandate. I was created to work. One of my favorite verses says that we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. So every single person has a reason to work. And by working, we actually are able to make an impact. We're able to lead people. We're able to make a difference in this world. And this idea that, oh, work is just a necessary evil. It's just a thing I have to do mm-hmm. to, to pay the bills, to, to be able to um, you know, support my family and my, 
uh, my children's education, I believe that it's a very uh, debilitating mindset. But if you start to embrace that your work is an avenue to be able to make an impact to this world by serving, um, you're able to do uh, far more, more, more enriching work, and you're going to have a more of a positive mindset going in. Hmm. Well, I've enjoyed this, Paul. I wanted to ask you before I move on to some questions that aren't directly related to the book, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we, we walk away with? This is a book, honestly, for, for those not only in their 20s, but anyone, honestly, who's been wrestling with these questions that we've been talking about, about, you know, why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? Who am I? These fundamental universal questions that people wrestle with. It's, it's a book that helps you process that. I have questions. I have exercises, tools that's very practical. It's not about abstract conceptual ideas. It's about how do I do this? What are some practical takeaways? And there's a lot of that in the book. So anyone who has been thinking about those questions, I invite you to go through these exercises. Take time. Reflect. Journal. And I think that's going to be a huge game changer. Well, Paul is one of the few people I know who reads more than I do. In fact, in my research for this conversation, I believe I uncovered that he reads about eight books a month, which is about twice as many books as I read in a given month. So this may be a tough question for you, Paul. Uh, Think about some of the books that you've read over the years. What would you say are the maybe two or three titles that immediately come to mind as having had the biggest impact on you? Yeah, that's a great question. Yes, I too love reading. So that's a hard question. Well, I recently finished reading John Maxwell's book, one of his books called The 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. Mm. This book really, really hit me strong because I've always considered myself a growth junkie. I've always considered myself a student of leadership. But what this book did to me was it helped me to understand that I need to have a personal growth plan. And when John Maxwell, when he first started his entire leadership career, his mentor told him, do you have a leadership and a personal growth plan? And he didn't. And he created a plan to grow himself. And that required a lot of intentionality. It can't be just accidental about growing. And after reading this book, I created my own growth plan and I started applying a lot of the things I've been learning. And I learn a lot, but I have to apply them as much. So that has that book's been really, really helpful and impactful, helping me go from just absorbing to actually doing and making some measurable changes in my life. Another book that I can think of as well is Primal Leadership by Daniel Goleman. This book is, I think, uh, a huge book for anyone who wants to be a better leader because Daniel Goleman, who really popularized the idea of emotional intelligence, he talks about how every leader needs to be emotionally intelligent, that you need to have the self-awareness, but also the social awareness, and social management to be able to succeed in the workplace. And for me, I, I really believe in that as well. And I always am looking for ways to um, what, see what are my blind spots in life and what are the areas in which I can work on to improve myself around areas of self-awareness and uh, generating trust or building better relationships with people. So um, those two have uh, profoundly shaped me and impacted me and highly recommend to anyone who really wants to grow. 
Well, Paul, I know that especially since the first version of the, of the book came out, the self-published version, uh, you have done your share of, of public speaking to companies and conferences and the like. And I'd love to get from you, if you're willing to share some of your tips for uh, delivering a talk that's impactful and, and one that's, that's memorable. That's a great question. The word that comes up for me is heart. When you speak from the heart, people connect. And that's something I've been learning quite recently. I love reading. As you know, I love all these different ideas and I can, I can talk about it, but unless I'm able to connect with my audience, with my heart, Mm. which requires vulnerability. And I can talk about all my successes, but I always notice that the best speeches I've done is when it isn't about telling the, the best story or of success case story or case studies like that at all, but it's just opening up my heart and being vulnerable and saying that I understand how you feel and this is my struggles, my, my pain points, and that there is hope, that, there's in, that this is not the end of life. And when I open up, people start to respond. Mm. People start to cry. People start to be touched. And I'm like, wow, that's, mm. the, that's, the, that's the secret of a great speech is there's emotions into it. There's passion. There's vulnerability. I'm 30 years old, but for me, I'm still growing and learning. I'm more excited about the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. As I continue to learn and grow in this craft and connect with people and speak from the heart, um, I can't wait to see the impact that I'll be having. So with that learning mindset, curiosity, growing mindset, I believe that any person, any person um, can become a great speaker. I love that. Well, uh, I, w- I want to give you a chance here, Paul, as we, as we close to uh, speak about the vision behind uh, CARA and the, the genesis really behind you founding this company uh, relatively recently, if I'm not mistaken. The vision behind CARA is to empower 20-somethings to find their true north, to find their, their purpose and their calling, their vision in life. Because I came across so many 20-somethings. Maybe you can just think about the time that when you're, you're in your 20s, many of them feel stuck. Many of them feel lost. Many of them feel like they're, they don't know where they're going. Really, they just don't know. And I went through my own 20s wrestling with the same questions. And I wanted to provide a service, a resource hub, uh, a place where people can go and, and, and help 20-somethings learn to wrestle with this quarter-life crisis, if you will. And that quarter-life crisis is not just a, a, a stage to pass over, but it is a process, a transition to step into to, to be able to maximize your 20s because your 20s can have a defining and a impact over your 30s, your 40s and 50s and 60s. I truly believe in the idea of starting well is very important. And I really want to do that with CARA is to help people start well. And um, there will be a lot of resources regarding this idea of calling or purpose or even things around dating, right? That's a Mm -hmm. huge topic. Relationships, how to find community, or even thinking about personal finance. What does that look like? And we'll have 
various thought leaders who are experts in these fields helping 20-somethings go through that. So that, that's really the vision. And if you really want to talk to me about it, I'm more than happy to feel free to reach out to me on Facebook, on email, or Instagram, any other social media. I'm more than happy to connect with uh, any of you who, who's passionate about that too. I'll add that Paul's last name is spelled S-O-H-N. Make it a little easier for you to find him. Uh, it's been fascinating to watch all that's happened here the last couple of years, Paul. And, and Paul and I first chatted a little over a year ago and we talked about coming together here for the show when the we'll call it the new and improved version of Quarter Life Calling came out. And let me just say it was it was worth the wait, Paul. Thank you so much for, for being here and giving of your time so freely today. Thanks so much, Chef, for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Was I right? Paul's a great guy. Now think about, if not you, who in your life would this book be perfect for? I encourage you to order it right now. There's a link to the book in the show notes page for this episode, along with the other links and resources Paul and I talked about today. You'll find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 164 for episode 164. Hey, please remember our sponsor, FreshBooks. Visit them, freshbooks.com slash readtolead to take advantage of their free month-long trial. And be sure to enter Read to Lead in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Make sure you're on our mailing list to be notified the next time our Read to Lead University Book Club opens for registration, which I can tell you is in just a matter of days. To get on the list, text the word university to 33444 if you're in the States. Otherwise, visit readtoleaduniversity.com. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at Read to leadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 